Hello and welcome to the Majlis Podcast Radio for your Pedro Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis and Radio for your Pedro Liberty's media manager here in Washington, D.C. In recent days, we have been seeing fresh signs of tension on the Kyrgyz-Tajik border. This round of fighting coincided with the one-year anniversary of a major escalation in this brewing tension, which remains a major source of conflict between these two neighbors since the collapse of the Soviet Union. On today's Majlis podcast, we just wanted to circle back and discuss what's been happening in recent days on the border. How is the situation today and what changed since the major cross-border escalation of the last year? To discuss all these, I'm joined by Akalai Karimova, a civic activist based in Osh, Kyrgyzstan, who have frequently visited the border. Srojitin Tolibov, managing editor of Radio Free Europe, the Liberty's Tajik service, locally known as Rodio Azodi, whose correspondents have frequently reported on the ground from the border. Bruce Panier, senior Central Asia analyst, who have frequently written about this topic and also soon launching a weekly newsletter dedicated to Central Asia. Thank you very much for joining us today on this very important, timely conversation. So let me start by asking about the current situation on the border. As I said, as recent as last week or 10 days, we were getting alarming news again from the border about new round of tensions. So how is the situation today from your perspective in Kyrgyzstan, Akhlai? Uh, so the situation nowadays is um, pretty much better than we had 10 days ago, but it was somehow, uh, you know, expected that the attention might rise. And uh, from both sides, uh, from Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan, we've seen during a year from one side the discussions and uh, the attempts to resolve the issues uh, over, you know, 690, I guess, kilometers of uh, unresolved uh, border territory between Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan. At the same time, from another hand, we've been seeing how Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistani government, they've been, you know, strengthening the military, pro, mm. uh, they've been running the uh, military exercises, and uh, and at the same time, we've been seeing, like, uh, the conflicts and tensions uh, going around not just one border territory, but in different uh, areas. So, um, this kind of involvements uh, made us to think, the civil society, that the border issues are not over, even if the pretty strong actions have been taken by the bo- both governments. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. Sirajitin, on the other side of the border in Tajikistan, so what your colleagues have been sharing with you about, about the recent tension? Our colleagues have been in the region, to, to say to Isfara district, which is on the border with Kyrgyzstan. We are about to complete our documentary about the events in Kyrgyzstan uh, exactly next week. It turns it one year since those bloody events. Uh, and uh, on Sunday, Imam Ali Rahman also visited there. Mm. And he asked the people of Isfara to live with Kyrgyzstanis in an atmosphere of, as he said, a, of good neighborhoodness. And of course, people believe that uh, not everything is a uh, result. Uh, they believe that, you know, uh, the land issue, the body issue must be solved for once and for all. Mm-hmm. And they believe that these uh, very tragic events may happen again. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, tension has not gone completely. Mm-hmm. And uh, they think that, you know, the atmosphere of distrust still exists. 
which is very bad. And uh, this may uh, lead to another bloody clashes right. if this border dispute is not completely resolved. Mm-hmm. So there were also some casualties this time, right? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, uh, these border conflicts happen from time to time. Mm-hmm. Time, Last time, as far as we know, uh, several people from both sides were injured. Do we have, do we have number? Uh, on the last event, as far as I know, you know three people from the Tajik side were wounded, mm. and one soldier died. Mm. He was buried uh, in his... Um, in the south of the country. He was 24, I think. Uh, as you can see, these border clashes, you know, although small, skirmishes happen from time to time. Right. And um, it is it becomes you know, as, a, as a part of the life for ordinary people, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, we are uh, seeing this frequently. You know, the, the nature of these tensions have been so far, like, you know, villagers throw stones against each other. But it looks like from your comments, Rajadin, so this time, like last Last year, this time, the clashes were happening between military to military because we are hearing people being killed in this latest round of tension. So it was a military to military conflict. Yes, it was military to military conflict. And uh, both sides, again, you know, um, blamed each other Mm. for starting it. Mm Kyrgyzside said that, you know, Tajiks crossed into Kyrgyz territory. Tajik side said that, you know, they were checking the border area. And uh, as Rahman said, uh, he used a proverb saying that uh, neighbors are not chosen, hmm. although it was not, you know, exact one for him. And um, he further notes that the solution of border territories issues, the limitation and demarcation of disputed segments of these, you know, border area are very complex process. Hmm. Hmm. And it takes a lot of time and requires many efforts. Yeah, so yeah. It, it seems that, you know, the border issue has not been solved at all. Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, the, the source of the problem, as you said, Sirojitin, maybe Akalai, let me invite you here. The way Sirojitin explaining that the pretext for this round of tension was someone allegedly crossed the border. Is it that, the way it's explained in, on the Kyrgyz side? Yes, exactly. Um, so when actually this uh, conflict just uh, happened, uh, the Kyrgyz media actually mm. immediately reported about it and uh, f- relying on the sources uh, from the uh, law enforcement and mm. the border security saying that the uh, Tajikistani border uh, security patrol and uh, soldiers they uh, violated the border lines mm. and that was the reason for for that tension and i would add uh, to the point that Surajuddin noted as uh, saying that the military to military conflicts are uh, more frequent than during the last years and um, there is um, you know a strong reason for that and uh, the when it comes to all common people in kyrgyzstan nobody wants this conflict everybody is frustrated and mm. tired of this mm-hmm. and um, they've been saying that their neighbors from Tajikistan they are frustrated and tired as well but right. they cannot be as vocal as Kyrgyzstani citizens about that because of the high pressure coming from the government and mm. uh, from the law enforcement patrolling in mm. their neighborhoods mm-hmm. but yeah so we've heard uh, this kind of testimonies from the mm. border side right. not just from the human rights defenders not mm. just from you know the journalists but from just the common people mm. who live there every day 
and right. who share this uh, uh, concerns over the border issue. Thank mm-hmm. you. So, Brusa, you have been in, in those places in your Central Asia expeditions previously in so many times. You know, it looks like the pretext being like someone crossed the border and this become like a source of tension. It sounds very similar. It sounds very old story to me. Is it even possible not to cross the border the way the borders are mapped here? Well, for one thing, there's a lot of places where no one get, really agrees where the border is. Yeah. You know, so that that's obviously a problem. Someone, you know, you might, your understanding might be that you're still on the territory of your country, but the people watching you walk through the field or something might decide suddenly that you've crossed over onto their territory and no one's really sure where the borderline is anyway. Um, but generally, you know, it's tough because this is at the bottom of like a bunch of ridges of mountains that all come together. So the arable land, the places you can live are all in the flatlands. So they kind of zigzag back and forth. And so does the road that, that goes through the area. And then you go back and forth between the two countries. And there's times, you know, where I've said on the show before, there's times where Kyrgyzstan is on one side of the street and, and Tajikistan is on the other side of the street. You know, so, I mean, it's it's tough. It would be tough to put up like a fence or something, right? Because it, it just it doesn't go straight. It just keeps going back and forth and back and forth and following the, you know, arable land that's in the at the bottom of these hills and mountains. So, yeah, I mean, it would be obviously uh, tough to know when you crossed, you know, like I said, the borderline. And a lot of these things, too, remember, a lot of them are kids, hmm. um, young people that are out herding, yeah. sheep, cows, right? You know, so you don't you don't pay attention for a couple of minutes and then you turn around and see that your cow has walked 10 meters away, further away than you thought. And yeah. you're not, not really sure what the border is. And you go get the cow and then the border guards from the other country grab you and hmm. drag you back into the country. And then sometimes beat you up. That's that's the thing, right? I mean, who determines where the border ends and where uh, where the border starts? I mean, these two countries have not agreed, right? Have not agreed. What is the exactly that the line is? Uh, there is no sign. And then, I mean, it, it kind of, you know, open to interpretation. The way the Kyrgyz side looks into this might be different to the way Tajiks looks. So it is just so complicated. And uh, locally, I mean, it's Rajatin, Akila, you guys both have been on the ground here. Please help us to visualize those who have not been to that part of the world on the day-to-day basis how they determine where the border ends it's kind of open question just maybe yes yeah you see uh, it has been difficult to demarcate the kyrgyz tajik border because over the course of some 100 years Mm. Soviet map makers and retrieve the kyrgyz tajik border over and over again incorporating land that had traditionally belonged to one people in the territory of the Soviet Republic. You know, both Kyrgyz and Tajiks believe that these territories belong to them. They have never divided, you know, they even didn't know that whether it was Kyrgyzstan or Tajikistan. And then during those periods, exclaves appeared and temporary land use agreements, you know, were signed several times. So, and both sides used different maps different agreements to achieve the complete agreement. So imagine, border talks began between the two countries in 2002, almost 20 years ago. Only slightly more than half of these disputed territories, you know, overall, which is 970 kilometers between uh, the two countries, border shared by the two countries, and only half of it, slightly more than half of it, has been demarcated over 20 years, which means that we need, you know, 20 more years to complete it. But the border delineation itself led to many local conflicts. 
suddenly people found out that the ethnic Kyrgyz lived in Tajikistan, ethnic Tajik lived in Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. very difficult and tough period for ordinary people. Yeah, they it, suffered yeah, from both sides. Yeah, historically, the source of the problem is exactly the way you explained, Srajitin. But, you know, on day-to-day life, on the realities on the ground, uh, if we look into this today, for example, what is the local arrangement looks like? For example, you know, just uh, to put it really in a local it, perspective, for example, is, uh, two na- like, le- let's say like two neighbors... People Two neighbors. One believe that he's a Tajik citizen and the other neighbor believes he's a Kyrgyz citizen. How they know where their their land separates from each problem, other? The, the problems, uh, both sides claim that uh, this land, this territory belong to them. If you ask ordinary Tajik, they say that this is our land. Kyrgyz say the same, although they don't know where the borderline is because it is not natural division. Uh, they have been living for centuries and they don't yeah. know where the border is. It, it did not exist as, at all. That's yeah. the problem. And the, the, the main source of, of problem, of course, is water. And, you know, the, these two countries are agricultural countries. If they were, let's say, industrial countries, then border issue would never be, you know, the subject of, of their conflicts. Yeah. They would never, you know, clash for the land. Imagine this, this is why we don't know the borderline between Czech Republic and Germany, because, uh, you know, these are the not agricultural countries. Unfortunately, that's the main reason. Pastures and water sources always led to conflicts. Yeah, yeah. Today... Well, I we, have to we, add here... Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yes. Oh, sorry. Well, I have to add here that, well, we need to separate uh, the border concept when it comes to the disputes between Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan. We have to understand that the concept by the like traditional understanding, as we know, like the uh, state borders and etc., we have to understand that they are different concepts, okay? So we have the state borders and we have the like historical borders and emotional borders, I would say so, from the perspective that I've seen there. Mm. So when it comes to state borders, actually we have, as Sirajidya noted, Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan, both countries, they rely much on the Soviet data on the borders, but the Soviet data differs, okay? It is not exactly the same as it's been like in 30s or it's been in 60s. And etc. So every country, uh, Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan, uh, when it comes to the border bo- disputes, they actually rely on different versions of the Soviet demarcation and delimitation. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's also the historical borders, right? So when it comes to people, when, when you go to Kyrgyz border side communities, they would come up with uh, many historical evidences that claim that these particular territories that are being under the dispute, they would belong to Kyrgyz side because they have the cemeteries there. Hmm. Uh, the Kyrgyz cemeteries, they have the Kyrgyz names, they have the Kyrgyz other like uh, social uh, patterns hmm. that actually approves the belonging of that specific place to Kyrgyz people. 
And this is the second thing. And when it comes to emotional border, here we have very interesting dynamic that comes from the 19s. So the government of Tajikistan and the government of Kyrgyzstan, since the collapse of the Soviet Union, has little on demarcation and delimitation. So what happened is that uh, the population of that part of the world has been rising, right? And when it comes to Sukht region, we have like uh, maybe 10 and 20 years ago, the numbers were lower and the demand for the land was not that pressing as we have today in Tajikistan. For instance, in Tajikistan, like um, the piece of land of six we call it Sotuk um, uh, in mm. Russian. Uh, a piece of land would cost, like in Tajikistan, around uh, forty, sixty thousand dollars, mm. and the same piece of land in Kyrgyzstan would cost you like around three, five thousand mm. dollars. What happens is that there are many in Batkan region, since in Kyrgyzstan, the Batkan region is the most left behind region in, in the country. Mm. There are so many uh, young people that actually were born there uh, in the 90s and uh, they had little access to better education, better economic opportunities. Many of them, they left for uh, work uh, in Russia or they preferred bigger cities like Bishkek or Osh. Uh, they left their lands and they uh, there were many cases when they just sold those piece of lands to Tajikistan and citizens. So what, here we have the emotional borders, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, when you go to Kyrgyz communities and ask about like where the borders, they would tell, well, these are the borders. But Tajikistani citizens, mm -hmm. since they bought that piece of land and since uh, they've been living there for maybe a decade mm -hmm. or over, mm -hmm. they would say, no, this is our land now because uh, we bought that place. We bought oh, that yeah. border site home. So, um, so is it, is it this is actually, so it, it and looks, this is actually fueling yeah. into the disputes between two people yeah. where uh, Tajikistani oh. emotionally they still belong to Tajikistan mm. but uh, the land where they live emotionally Kyrgyz people see as the land of Kyrgyzstan Hello. You know, as you can see, it's even the activists, uh, you know, so exaggerate things and uh, they try to, to support uh, the idea of uh, statehoodness, not to be neutral, but, you know, to support uh, the country where they belong calling, you know, say, geographical names belong to Kyrgyz, while if you ask the Tajiks, they can right. prove you that, you know, these territories called uh, are called in uh, in Tajik, even Batken, which means in a wide wind and uh, in a city, it is Tajik name, Ozardali, it is, is apricot in Tajik, you know, there are so many reasons, and they don't think that they, they moved to, to these territories 10 years ago, it is on the country in the Tajikistan, say that Kyrgyz came, you know, over okay. in, in 1950s, and before that, you know, the Kyrgyz never lived there. Okay. This kind of, you know, emotional tendency not to listen to each other right. also became too mm -hmm. strong especially since the collapse of the Soviet mm -hmm. Union. Earlier, uh, Akhalai was uh, kind of putting it nicely. It's just not one issue. There are three different layers of borders. Look at that. So it, it, it makes things even more complicated. First, you don't have a border. Then there are imaginary borders, depending on who you ask. That That's very complicated. I guess last year, uh, you know, when we had uh, almost a full-scale uh, military confrontation, the source of the problem, I guess, was the same or similar. So the question 
question is, uh, what stayed the same and what changed since last year? What's what's helping and what's proving challenge in resolving this conflict? And finally, what the future holds as we continue coming back to this subject with ever growing frequency? So let's continue the discussion by talking about these and many other questions very shortly. First, let me recap the debate that today on the Majlis podcast, I'm joined by Aklai Karimova, a civic activist based in Osh, Kyrgyzstan, Sirojuddin Talibov, the managing editor of Radio Free Liberty's Tajik service, locally known as Radio Azadi, and Bruce Panier, senior Central Asia analyst. I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis and Radio Free Liberty's media manager here in Washington, D.C., and we are discussing the border conflict between Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan. So as we were uh, discussing this topic, indeed, the region is also commemorating one-year anniversary of bloody and even larger conflict that we have seen last year in the same region. So, so Bruce, uh, when we compare this one, what just happened to what we have seen last year, uh, the nature of the conflict in the context of the source seems to be same or similar, right? Uh, you know, I would actually say that it's probably worse now than it was on the eve of, of last year's problems. I mean, mm. you, you mentioned earlier that, that these 10 years ago, when these things, or 15 years ago, mm. when these happened, these things happened, it was, you know, a, a group of guys on one side of the border, a group mm. of guys on the other side of the border that mm. started screaming at each other, and, and maybe they got into fights or threw rocks and sticks with each mm. other. The last two times, it escalated, as we've mm. heard. You know, it, it ended up being something where the border guards got involved in it. Mm. Of course, last year, we had the big military conflict. But before that, it, would, it had reached this point where mm. you know they, they traded some shots and, and every now and then you know out of like a, a dozen of these incidents unfortunate incidents would happen and and a couple people would get killed during some of those incidents and a couple people would get wounded but the last two times this has happened somebody got killed as Akali said it doesn't involve like it's not the citizens that are doing this anymore mm. it's actually the border guards of the two countries that, that are shooting it out with each other um, when, this, when the incident happened in, in April on April mm. uh, 12th um, both sides actually mobilized their forces. Certainly there was reports from the Tajik side that they were getting their armored vehicles ready and, and moving toward the border. And I heard similar stories from the Kyrgyz side. So that's that's what it's gotten to. This isn't like there's two groups of people fighting right along the border. I mean, they hear these reports and they're actually getting their militaries ready mm. to possibly do the same thing they did last year, which I would say is an escalation mm. uh, because it, the, the, line, the margin for error mm is like razor thin now. You know, if one of these things goes for four or five hours, then mm. you end up with the militaries of both sides getting involved again. So earlier I was talking about what changed and what did not change, what stayed the same. So one thing is like, you know, the militarization of this conflict. You said last year we have seen on a whole different scale, but in the recent one too, militaries got involved and then there were casualties on on both sides of the border. Obviously, you know, one thing has changed is the increasing militarization of this conflict. Bruce, how we are getting into this, why it's militarizing. I mean, earlier being like just a kind of clashes between people, like throwing stone at each other. But now it is increasingly being militarized. How we we have gotten to destruction. You know, I mean, I think this is this is all just gradual because, as we've heard, I mean, there's a to- almost a total lack of trust, and it's been building and building just as the conflict has been been escalating. You know, from throwing sticks and stones to actually using mortars and and things like that. You know, during these attacks, and and 
the two sides go far, get further and further apart. Certainly, it seems that way in the in the immediate areas that they're you know both sides have their own narrative of how mm-hmm. this is working at the moment, and they're not willing to compromise on anything. You know, and, and it just hardens people even more when the, when this keeps happening. There was just a report the Tajik Service did about how people are starting to get used to this. You know, that's really unfortunate. When you hear shooting break out and stuff, and and all you just go, oh well, I guess I better go back inside because they'll probably be at this for a couple hours. You know, then it's really hard to build trust on both sides of the border again. You know, this is really ultimately something the local communities got to work out between themselves. And I know the governments are trying, um, and sometimes in best case scenarios, and representatives from Hojan and Botkin City mm-hmm. to do it because at least they're from the area. But I, I, when the officials meet from Bishkek and Dushan Bay, it just doesn't seem to be a big priority. And that's part of the reason, you know, they, they meet mm-hmm. and they agree it's serious and it should be solved by peaceful means. And they have these, you know, uh, trust building measures that they implement, joint border control patrols and things like that. But it, it, the situation just keeps getting worse. And I, I don't think the governments really in both countries are addressing this as seriously as they should. I mean, this is, this is a real big problem that's getting worse. And we already saw what happens when it breaks, you know, and, and there's and they're headed toward this in the same direction again. So just wondering, like, you know, what's what's the real obstacle here? I'm sure, you know, uh, these problems, you know, the problems that we are talking about today uh, that are causing this issue, causing this conflict again and again and increasingly militarizing it. I mean, these problems must have been discussed when the uh, both sides sit down following the major conflict of last year and they they reached to some sort of agreement that 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 phase of the conflict work was calmed down then then where it broke up because of which we are again on the same stage what didn't go right there srajitin akilai you know the, first of all it is mistrust between two sides hmm. and the secondly is so they can't uh, step back both sides they never say that okay this is kyrgyz ter- territory take it Oh, okay, this is tragic territory, take it. Third, it's stubbornness. They don't want to you know, step back. They want their own territory and immediately. That's the problem. They don't recognize uh, maps uh, provided by uh, the opposing side. Mm-hmm. You know, talks are happening, but, you know, the, the next week you can see the clashes uh, again between ordinary people. And then now uh, the border is starting to become a hot point for both sides. It's a very important uh, territory to Tajikistan now. Even last year, before these clashes began, Rahman went there and raised the flag of Tajikistan, you know, huge flag of Tajikistan. That was symbolic uh, answer to the claims that you know, that territory belongs to Kyrgyzstan. Rahmanov said several times belongs that to Tajikistan, you will not give up one, one meters of the land. Mm. It is a very serious issue. I think both sides cannot solve this problem without interference of bigger forces. In this case, uh, let's say the Western society, Western countries like USA, European Union, and definitely Russia. Yeah, I think that that's the, uh, I guess, another uh, angle that we might uh, try to explore here. So, I mean, it looks like, you know, after every conflict, authorities from both sides, you know, comes together, sit down and, you know, they find some way to de-escalate the situation, at least temporarily. But again, something goes wrong and we, we are back into the same uh, place. So what I'm saying is like, it, it appears to me that local authorities are not able to find a permanent solution to this issue. Then is there anything that can help, Akilai? 
From my point of view, there's uh, to, to, to the reasons where it comes from. I, I mean, I would just add that both governments uh, for 30 years, they did nothing for any attempt to resolve the border issues. Uh, they were just left for, from both countries like uh, from Kyrgyzstan and from Tajikistan. And uh, the pressing issues of the borders from Kyrgyz side, I mean, they, they left no choice for the new leadership, Sadr Japarov and uh, Kamchubek Tashiev to actually, you know, respond to the border issues uh, immediately and decisively. And they, you know, took very radical position, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they come up with the the same position on Uzbekistan. And uh, they actually, both uh, issues with um, Uzbekistan, they, their proposals uh, to Kyrgyzstani uh, citizens, they were rejected immediately. Immediately, because people just went out to the streets in Osh region and they said no meter should off we, uh, should, we refresh, should we refresh yeah. our memories on what what was the those proposal about I mean, it's been a year so yeah okay. actually it was uh, it was very simple so Sadar Japarov he went to uh, Tashkent and had a meeting with Mirziyoyev and so there they exchanged some lands mm. as and they formulated saying that oh that we are resolving the border issues and so the people from media they learned that they water reservoir in Osh is now given to Uzbekistan. And uh, so many people in Karasu, in Uzgen, in Osh region, they went out to the streets like three years ago, two years ago in mm-hmm. May, and uh, they stopped this initiative of, uh, you know, land exchanging. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to Tajikistan, uh, same radical position was taken from the Kyrgyz government and uh, it went uh, so, you know, unexpectedly for Kyrgyzstani society this violent, mm-hmm. this conflict, and uh, what I want to say, uh, actually, stress for Tajikistan is that there are also the pressing, uh, you know, challenges in Tajikistan, um, given the change of leadership, given the social, economical uh, challenges, and uh, it looks like um, for Tajikistani government, uh, these border issues are also kind of an opportunity to to stand firm and to, you know, claim that Tajikistani government mm-hmm. actually cares about the border side communities. But when you go down again, when you when you go down to Tajik people to Kyrgyz people on the border side, actually they've been living there forever, right? And they've been neighbors forever. So and they've been exchanging, you know, the family occasions and everything. I mean, they they were just not just the neighbors, right? They were actually as relatives because again, Batken is the most remote region in Kyrgyzstan, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why Tajikistani people were even more close, you know, than people in Ocean, uh, mm-hmm. in Bishkek, mm-hmm. etc. So now what, what, what would actually help uh, for both people to come to the common ground? I think, first of all, it's not just about the state level disputes, but also the any initiatives that would help uh, for both uh, people to maintain the relations, even it's very hard. But, uh, you know, I have a hope uh, from people from, from the ground, from both Tajikistani and uh, Kyrgyzstani people, because they have some kind of communication even though they're not that active as they used to be before but s- still they have this communication and they exchange some piece of information within each other still we have Tajikistani citizens that are using the Kyrgyzstani mobile operators which is good so they have the Kyrgyz numbers and they have you know at mm-hmm. least some kind of sort of uh, communication which is good mm-hmm. and at the same time my concern is that 
you know, we have young people that mm. are being raised in this hatred, mm. in this, you know, absolute position where they should, to, in order to prove their patriots in Tajikistan or Kyrgyzstan, they should hate each other, you know what I mean? Yeah. So this is what makes me uh, worrying. But the other side, I mean, when it comes to state, I think, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with the idea that we should have uh, the other party that would help us to resolve this dispute. But I don't really think that it should be the West or it should be the the Russian Federation or, yeah. you know, these big, big countries. I would say it should be resolved regionally. And uh, like, and, and I see Uzbekistan here as the driving, driving country in mm. resolving this dispute. Mm, um, and I see the potential here because now mm. even, you know, I work in... Uh, many initiatives, uh, including the cross-border initiatives. Mm. And I see that Uzbekistan right now is serving for us, for both Tajikistani and Kyrgyzstani people, as a alternative platform where we can meet, where we can discuss, mm. where actually we can, you know, at least have this, you know, maintain our communication mm. at least uh, in this way. Thank that's, you. That's interesting. Maybe, Bruce, we are going to conclude the conversation here. Maybe final question. So, uh, Bruce, uh, Akalai is uh, suggesting Uzbekistan potentially providing an address where this problem might be resolved. So earlier we were also talking about before the podcast, perhaps there might be a rule for Russia to resolve this conflict. So maybe there are two legs of my question here. So uh, how do you see what can help? And what do you see what the future holds for this conflict going forward? Well, I mean, Akalai's suggestion is, is great. And uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I was having a, a conversation. Actually, right just before the la- military conflict last year, mm. I was talking to Steve Sper, our old friend Steve Sperlow. Mm. And, and he said that that was that Uzbekistan should pitch a Fergana Valley summit mm. and they should host it. Interesting. And I thought that was a great idea because really both sides kind of trust Uzbekistan. You know, Russia kind of. I don't know. Th- that's a tough one. Both Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan are certainly dependent yeah. on Russia. But Russia last year during the conflict, a lot of people got the impression that Russia was pretty much siding with Tajikistan on this. Mm. And you remember that it, it ended up that President Rahman was the was only yeah. leader from the CIS country that attended the Victory Day Parade in Moscow yeah. last year. So then people really got the idea that, you know, Russia had been, since they had the, you know, the 201st is stationed there and they've been in, in Tajikistan forever, mm-hmm. that, that Russia was leaning toward Tajikistan mm-hmm. in this conflict. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I think there's no way they could play a role as a mediator. International organizations are scared to get yeah. involved. Um, you know, I was, I was in Osh in 2010 and the OSCE was offering to mediate and no one wanted them. Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah. Interesting. you know, they kept saying they'll turn us into, they'll do the same thing to us they did to Kosovo. Mm. So, so that, you know, so there's no one that internationally, and I think really Mirziwayev has kind of pushed himself forward as like, you know, the big figure in the region, mm. you know, the... The, uh, and this would be one service that Uzbekistan could perform that would be very, very useful. Kazakhstan could join in, yeah. you know, without it. But, but really, I think Mirziyoyev needs to take the initiative and say, look, we're all sharing the valley. We, you know, your problems could be our problems tomorrow. If this keeps getting worse, let's all talk that's this out and figure out something yeah. that's going to work for everybody. Why, why he's not doing that? That's a good question. I don't know. It seems like an obvious chance for him to score huge international points yeah. and regional points. Yeah. By doing this, you know, you, you never know. There's so many differences that are at work between it. I would actually, two. you know, I, I'm sorry, Bruce, I'm very sorry, but <laughs> I would quickly add on that. 
why uh, Mirziyoyev is not a- that active on that. I think he wished to be active and he has uh, all the potential to do that. But we have the big player here, that's Russia. Mm. Uh, obviously, the, the I think the, the, the influence of Russian Federation is huge in this regard. And I believe that I totally agree with uh, Bruce Penier saying about the you know impression that we had here uh, that Russian Federation has been citing mm. uh, Tajikistan a lot. And I believe that, yeah, in uh, on this matter, uh, Uzbekistan is not trying to get itself in, in trouble with Russian Federation. So you are but, saying, you are saying, yeah, uh, but, uh, but, is but hesitant. Believe, yeah, mm. but I believe it's uh, it's on the horizon. It's mm. coming. And uh, with the, you know, uh, Russian Federation losing the um, international influence, including in Central Asia, I believe Uzbekistan will take the lead uh, in mm. the future mm. if the border mm. issues won't be resolved uh, between two countries mm. themselves. Thank mm. you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Surajitin, from Tajikistan's perspective, you know, Surajitin, you are in a, in a very interesting position here. Like you, until recently, you were part of our Uzbek service. So you also know the perspective from there now with the Tajik service. So from Tajikistan's point of view, I mean, do you see Uzbekistan is a maybe maybe the only peace broker in this conflict? You know, for Tajik side, I think I think so far I haven't seen any article in Tajikistan suggesting that. Hmm. First of all, and secondly, Tajiki in Tajikistan, if you talk to experts or government members, they think that the central power in Kyrgyzstan, in Bishkek, you know, so in this case, the uh, Japan's government is not centralized and powerful enough to influence and to make the change hmm. to impact because you know the uh, central power in Kyrgyzstan is very weak if you compare it with Tajikistan. When Rahman says something, even ordinary people and, and the regional powers and regional administrations follow him. But in the case of Sadr Japarv, it is not the case. This is why the border demarcation and uh, division between Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan failed when uh, they agreed, you know, uh, to divide the land a couple of years ago. Kyrgyz, um, you know, Sarajit, society or people were very unhappy. In this case, I think, you know, uh, the decision will be taken, not uh, Uzbekistan alone. And it takes time, so, I think. So what to, to solve this, so I, I, I don't see at this moment any solution to border issues, unfortunately. Yeah, we were just trying to, you know, end the conversation on, on some hopeful note here. I mean, Bruce and Akhilai was uh, talking about, yeah, Russia is not an actor here because of these, these and that, that reasons. And, you know, West is far away and international NGOs, I mean, they don't have stake in this either. So what we are left with is Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan coming together and jumping and trying to solve this regional problem, which also affects them. And then the question being asked, why Uzbekistan is not doing anything about this? Obviously, uh, Uzbekistan, Mirziyoyev is aware of this problem and it, the way it affects the region. Mirziyoyev is also the type of person who wants to see doing something big and taking credit for that. So obviously, as Bruce was talking about, I mean, this is one of those things that where he can make a difference and he's not getting involved in that. I mean, just wondered, I mean, why? Why? And yes, we understand the Tajik perspective to it that they have about Jabarab's position. That's a separate issue. I mean, Uzbekistan, why Uzbekistan is not seeing a role for itself to resolve this issue. You know, so the Uzbekistan probably is keen to, uh, to be part of this, uh, you know, to, to resolve this problem. But, you know, the, there are delimitation, demarcation problems between Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan itself. So do you think that, you know, the third party, let's say Kyrgyzstan, would agree uh, Uzbekistan to play the main negotiator's role here? And uh, Russia, I think, always played, you know, the key role 
in these regions always. And mm -hmm. I don't think that, you know, without Russia, they can achieve anything, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, terrific. Thank you very much. Um, we are going to end the conversation. Bruce, just if you want, like in just two or maybe three paragraphs, not more than that, where your eyes will be. I mean, we have seen this major conflict last year, and now we are, you know, back to the same situation, not as big as it was last year, but still a military-to-military -military confrontation. So as we are seeing this ever-growing frequency of these tension and militarization, so yeah, where your eyes will be going forward in, in terms of where we are headed after this stage well it's, that's tough i mean there's not a whole lot of room for optimism at the mm. moment so these things have turned from stuff fights with sticks and stones to, to machine gun battles mm. where someone gets killed every time mm. you know so i clearly they need some confidence building measures i think you know i understand that these are poor regions of both countries you know having been up there it's, there's a lot of real dry hard land up there and if you got something you can herd sheep or grow food on or something, you're going to hold on to it as much as you can. But the, the both governments are putting money in to the regions to help them be more independent, which is good and bad. I mean, it's they're more independent, but then there's less reason for them to have to depend on their neighbor. Mm. And I just thought that the money, some money should be spent on joint projects that mm. benefit both peoples. Mm. Um, that would be like an imaginative, at least an, an effort to do use your imagination to create something. Both sides get something out of some industry or something that they can create right there, free trade zone, I don't know, mm. so that they interact a lot more and that they both get something out of it at the same time, and that might help to do it. But like I said, the, the tendency now is, although they're, the, both governments are putting more money in than they used to because they want to lay claim to their territory, the, the kind of projects that they're implementing mean that they the people there don't have to depend on the people on the other side of the border, which is unfortunate. I think it would be better for them if they got together and said, we're thinking of investing $10 million in the region, you're thinking of investing investing 10 million in your region right next door can we take half of that and figure out that we can build some kind of factory or something mm -hmm. that everyone can get mm -hmm. something out of there and people both countries yeah. can work it something like that yeah as i said i don't see right now that the course they're on gets us brings us right back to where we were in, in late april 2021 mm -hmm. Yeah, you say a solution might come uh, locally uh, into this uh, long-lasting conflict. Okay, so let's see. So we will keep our eyes on that. Uh, thank you very much, Bruce Panier, a Central Asia analyst. With this, we are going to conclude the conversation. So also, big thanks go to uh, Akhilai Karimova, a civic uh, activist based in Osh, Kyrgyzstan, and also big thanks to Sirojuddin Talib, the managing editor of Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberties, Tajik Service, for joining us in this important conversation. Thank you, colleagues. So yeah, this is it from me, Mohammed Tahir, Radio Free Europe, the Liberties Media Manager and host of the Majlis Podcast here in Washington, D.C. Until next week, bye-bye.